Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for your word. And we pray that as we come to them, however fresh or unfamiliar they may be, however well we know them, we pray that we would be revived in your name. Amen. Um, I particularly love uh, this story. Um, when I get to heaven, one of the questions, and I'm pretty sure there'll be a long queue in front of Abraham, but one of the questions I want to ask is, how did he sound to you? How did, it, how did you know that it was him? What was it that made you trust him aside from all of the other things that were going on in your life right then? And then I want to ask the more difficult question, which is, how did you explain it to your wife? <laughs> yeah, what was that dinner conversation like? Oh, by the way, darling, <laughs> today we're not... But I like this story because of the simple things it tells us. And I want to look at the life of Abraham over uh, the next few weeks. And if you're looking ahead uh, on the rotor, you'll see that next week, excitingly, it's Genesis 12, chapter, uh, verse 2. So we're not going to, we're not going to race for faster than we need to, but neither are we going to dwell uh, longer than is necessary. Uh, but it's important. And the first thing I want to sort of look at is this lovely uh, part, of the first part of verse 1, uh, is that the Lord uh, speaks. God speaks. No other God speaks. If you look around, if you sort of check out uh, other religions, it's not something that they, that they have. It's not really there. There are, there are words and there are documents and there may be dreams and visions. But this God speaks. God, Yahweh, Old Testament name for him, is a speaking God. And the Bible teaches us that he speaks things into being. Things were made by his word. And things, uh, his words, therefore, are powerful. And they're creative. When he speaks, uh, they have impact on people and on the world around them. But they are also personal and instructive. They're guiding words. God isn't just about ordering the universe. He also is interested in the people he's filled it with. And these words here are the beginning of an invitation, aren't they, to a relationship. There are people in this conversation. God doesn't just speak to the cosmos. He's speaking to one ordinary man. He's just speaking to one ordinary person. And he is saying to him, he's explaining to him what he's going to do and he's saying also to him what Abram's part in it will be. God is inviting him into a different kind of life, a different kind of understanding of who he is. And that's part of God's character. God wants relationships. God wants to know people. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the way that Isaiah describes him as your companion, someone with whom you would break bread, someone with whom he would spend time. God wants that, probably more than we do sometimes, but he wants it. And it's part of who he is. 
We're told right at the beginning of the Bible that even when Adam and Eve rebelled and turned against God, however we understand the sort of the mechanics and the history of that story, the essence of it is that God looked for them and said, where are you? Now, he is God. He knows where they are. But he wants them to know he is looking for them. God wants them to be with him. And he wants to be with them. And we know throughout the Old Testament, God spoke to other people. He spoke to Moses in a burning bush. He spoke to him about the things that he wanted him to do, the things that he had set aside for him to do. He spoke to Elijah when Elijah was scared and on the run and exhausted. He spoke to Job in his distress and when he thought that there was no doubt and there was no answer to his problems. God speaks and the God I follow is a speaking God. And if his words are important, if he can speak, then his words are pretty important. They're the most important ones you may ever hear in your life. And one of the things that I kind of comfort myself with um, is that God speaks to Abraham, but there are quite often long gaps in between. You know, when I was training somebody, when I was at, tra- when I was at Vicar Factory, somebody said, I'm only going to do what God tells me. And I said, and what are you going to do the other 97% of the week? Because we can sort of, sometimes we can overarch it and say, oh, it's really important. And I think there's an element in which, yeah, God does direct us, but sometimes he lets us get on with it. And Abraham is one of those lovely stories. God gives him a sense of purpose and going on with things, but also is willing to get stuck in and talk to him about what's going on. And I think being, being open to God speaking to us is really important. This story tells us that God speaks, and my story begins in a similar way. Let's see if I can move this on. Ah, there we go. This is the house where I used to live. It's the house where I grew up. And it's the one with the uh, center point, with the dormer towards the middle of the top of the screen. Uh, Next door was a a childhood friend, and and so on. But this is where it all began with me. And this is the house I lived in as a child. And I was about eight, eight and a half maybe even nine years old, when that conversion, that roof conversion was done, okay? And I have a brother and a sister. Now, my brother was sharing the room with us, with me, and we were going to be sharing this new loft conversion room together. None of us went to church. None of us were uh, Christians. We had an aunt who'd sort of recently started attending a church, but, I mean, she wasn't around a great deal. And so it was an ordinary sort of life. It wasn't something spectacular or or, or something where we were expecting God to be part of what we did. So my brother and I moved into that room in the roof when I was about eight and a half and he was about 18 months. And the morning after the first night in there, I was asleep and I heard this voice say, wake up. And being about eight and a half or nine, I said, no, it's too early. But the voice said, no, wake up now. And when I opened my eyes, because there was something in that now, when I opened my eyes, I saw my brother, 18 months, balanced on the windowsill. You can see the height of the house. 
balanced on the windowsill to catch the window that he had opened and, and then caught the wind. And he was literally perched, trying to reach it round. It's a horrifying thought. And I got up, and then the voice said, don't, don't surprise him, don't startle him. So I got behind, and, I, and I, I snuck up behind, and I plucked him off the ledge, and then put him down on the floor. And I knew that there was something bigger than mum and dad put together. I knew that there was something beyond everything that we could see. I just knew it. And I believed that God, whoever he was, was real and interested. Later that day, Dad fitted some window chains. It's quite an important part of my journey that God was willing to save my brother by waking me up. It's interesting to me that I was willing to argue with God about it. But sometimes when we hear things, that's what we do. We refuse to believe. It's quite interesting. When we sort of pray before a service, we're very careful not to allow who we are to get in the way of what God is saying. It's, really, it's actually quite a hard skill to learn. But it's important that we don't allow God's words to be crowded by our own disobedience. So the important thing, is that God speaks, and he speaks, he can speak, into the lives of ordinary people. And he can speak in different ways. Sometimes he speaks to people through dreams and visions. And the Bible's full of those. And sometimes he speaks through other people within your church family. And we experience that. And that Bible is full of that as well. But he's a God who speaks. And when God speaks, there's an expectation that, A, he's drawing me in because he loves me. And he wants me to know him better. And he's got something for me that I want to do. He wants me to do. So the second thing is quite simply that the Lord calls Abram into a new life. This God has spoken to Abram. And now, this is the tension, isn't it? Abram has kind of come so far on this journey. Uh, and, and now we're not sure where he's going to go. Because they've settled in Haran. Now, if you're a house group leader, keep an eye on your email inbox because I'll be sending some very difficult questions about where they were when the word of God came to them. But for now, I just want to focus on the facts that God, the things that God instructs Abram about. Because it appears that Terah, his father, has kind of lost, lost a bit of momentum. That they have left Ur and they've stopped in Haran and they're kind of settling there. But that wasn't the word, was it? That was, go to a land that I will show you. And it's not Haran. So one of the things we need to sort of just wrestle with as a group of people, as a family following God, is, you know, how do we listen and what happens? What about obedience? And how is God going to show us new things? And the first thing he does is he challenges Abram with these three things here. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Leave your country. The land they were in, Ur of the Chaldeans, was not the land that God had set aside for them. God had set aside a place where they would know him and he would, and he would grow them and that would be the place, that would be the place where he would show them how merciful and gracious he can be. That's where his plan would start 
or would begin to flourish, rather. But that would mean leaving Ur and getting on with it. So we see that Terah has stopped part way. But that country that he stopped at was not the land that God had intention. He had intended for Abram. Secondly, uh, he takes them out of the people. And by people, I think we look at their culture. I'm just going to skip two forward. See, when I, when, certainly at my, at my age, when you started learning RE at secondary school, the very first lesson for years and years and years was about the ziggurat at Ur. The ziggurat is the big temple that was going on in Ur. And Ur was the center of worship in that whole part of the Mesopotamian basin. That was, that was where things were happening. And the god they worshipped there was the god Nanner or Shin. And he was a moon god, um, and it's kind of an easy god to worship, isn't it, really? Because if we make the right sacrifices during the day, maybe the moon will come back, and you'll be pleased with this. It's quite an easy god to worship, um, because he was always there when you wanted him. So the ziggurat at Ur and the whole sort of sacrifice uh, system of the temple there was very much focused on giving and, and receiving something in exchange. Archaeologists have discovered it wasn't so much a temple as a stock exchange. It was very much a marketplace where lots of people just sort of brought in things in return for blessing for themselves. It was more about trading, and it seems like the priests were kind of just brokers. Well, that's not the kind of worship that God is looking for. Remember, God has come to Abram with nothing in his hand. And Abram hasn't got anything in his hand for God. It's a very simple relationship that God is calling Abram into. So the culture and the, peop and the people's culture uh, was something that Abram would no longer be able to rely upon. It would be something that God wants you to say, I want you to come away from there. Come away from the things you're familiar with, the place you're familiar with. Come away from your, um, your, your people, the culture that you're depending upon so far, the way in which you sort of get by in life. Come away from that culture. And I wonder what that question looks like for us. Come away from that culture. And then leave also your father's household. Now, we read much later on that his father's household was quite entrapped in this culture. Joshua, when he's commenting about them about entering the promised land and the, and the covenants and the promises that the people would be making to God, reminds the people that long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river Euphrates and worshipped other gods. Terah and Nahor were within that kind of culture. And it wasn't going to be good for Abram to try to sort of follow God and Nana, the moon god. So God is saying, I want you to get away from those things. And in fact, it's quite interesting that Terah, Terah's death is recorded before the story begins. That's kind of a device which lets us know that um, he's playing no part in this, but for reasons of a lack of sort of involvement, if you like. So we see that God is taking him out of the things with which he is familiar, the things with which he depends upon, uh, into a new relationship where he's going to have to learn to depend upon them, uh, upon him. 
It's quite interesting. We see it again, don't we? Uh, In the New Testament, Jesus calls the disciples to come and follow him, and immediately they left their nets. They gave up. He didn't give them an itinerary. He didn't give them the sort of the lists of the places that they would be stopping and a day-by-day account of where the food would be. He just told them to follow him and discover what life would be. And that's really helpful because life isn't this giant preordained itinerary, or that at least is what we can think it is. When we went into ministry, we had no idea where we would go or who we would meet or what sorts of churches or people we would be ministering with. And we had ideas and we had goals and some came to fruition and some didn't. Most things should be we didn't know. Most things. And and that sounds all rather grand, but actually that should be the experience of most Christians, isn't it? We get up in the morning. We don't really know what the day ahead brings us. We go to work or we go to a volunteer at wherever we're involved. And we can anticipate some things, but we don't always know what's going on. And so our days should really be um, open to discovery, to see what God may be doing. What might God do with us in this place? What might be about to happen? Is there something uh, that could occur here if I'm listening and I'm tuned in to him? So it's important to hold on to those things sometimes. We can't rely on our diary but we can rely on God. The third thing I want to say is that God gave him a hope of a better vision. I love this. I want to unpack it more depth next week. But go to the land I will show you. So Abram's got to continue um, until God prompts him, until God shows him. And it's a lovely sense in which if you stick with me, I will take you to places that will make you draw your breath and gasp. There's a sense in which you will know when you have reached there because you will know I'm there with you as well. And God is inviting him into this, in this, this story in which they're both players, in which Abraham follows and God will reveal uh, these wonderful things. And it's a fascinating life uh, that Abraham's sort of being invited into. But God expects him to carry on, that Abraham will carry on until God shows him. Requires uh, something called continual obedience in the same direction. As I said earlier, God didn't speak to Abraham every day. There were long gaps. And God expected Abraham just to crack on and do the things that were normal for Abraham to do. We call it faith. We call it following God. We call it following Jesus. We call it being a disciple. Carry on doing the things that I have taught you. That's what Jesus left the disciples with. And I will be with you. And I will show you these things. So there's this wonderful sense in which God is going to be the beginning and the end of this part of Abram's journey. He's taken him out of things that he was depending upon. And he's going to take him to things that he will reveal to him, that he will show him. Abraham isn't going to have to guess. God's going to show him. And that implies a relationship, isn't it? And in a relationship, you identify with that other person. And Abraham identifies with God. And God has identified with Abraham. Abraham identifies with God by saying, right, we're going to follow this journey that this new God, who I've never heard of before, but speaks, 
He's going to take us somewhere. And God identifies with Abram by saying, trust me, and I will take you places you could never imagine were possible and do things with you you never thought could happen. We as Christians identify with God through Jesus Christ because Christ is the outworking of this work that, that God begins with Abram. But he's from, Jesus is from that line. And we identify with God through that same line in Christ. And we identify with Christ in his death, that he died for our sins. That's our beginning. That's the beginning of our journey. When we abandon the ways in which we've been used to living and put our lives in Jesus' hands and I'll invite him to live life with us and in us. That's the beginning of our journey, his death. But then we also identify with Christ at the end of our journey because the resurrection is about the life that he will bring us and that's our end. And the end that he's going to show us that he's made possible for us by proving himself in the resurrection. So our lives are shaped, they're bracketed, beginning and end. They can be bracketed by a reliance on and a relationship with God. We can know about God, but we don't necessarily identify with God. We can believe in God, but not say he is my God. But what these stories do is they ask you to say, actually, I want to identify with this God. This is my God. This is my Christ. This is my life. This is my story. They're all wrapped up in the same story about God drawing us in. And when he does, we find ourselves walking in a life with a God who speaks, a God who shows us things, a God who reveals himself so that we might experience the kind and be the kinds of people that he intended right from the start so my question is are your ears and are your eyes open to what god might say or do with you shall we pray